we're doing it we're doing it victor thank you for joining us lending us some time yeah um so to our listeners today on uh on the podcast we have my neighbor victor who um i think you were the first person that i really met in the neighborhood the day that i bought this house and like got the keys to the house i remember i was outside taking pictures on the corner you spotted me i don't know how i was 25 years old i don't know how you figured that i was the person that bought the house because i just didn't look like i had long hair scraggly beard but you were like are you are you the new homeowner and i said yeah and you were like well i have keys to your house so figured you might want these (laughs) and uh but yeah i remember you told me in that interaction you know you said oh i'm a contractor and all these things but uh i remember you looked me square in the eye and you said but i'm a neighbor first and i thought man what a what a cool guy and what a what a cool person um it felt really good to move into this neighborhood and have my first interaction be with someone so kind and genuine um and to just feel yeah welcomed to the neighborhood but also being you know being a younger first-time homeowner um it just gave me a little bit of peace to know like I mean, if something went really wrong, I could go knock on Victor's door and be like, hey, my basement is flooding. Uh, what do I do? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's been years now and you and I have had some really interesting sidewalk chats about this and that. And uh, so I thought it would be great to get you on the podcast and hear a little bit about your story and just let the good people uh, hear what you have to say. Certainly. Awesome. So, um, where you want me to start? <laughs> well, you can really start wherever you like. Um, you know, I I think uh, typically just start start at the beginning somewhere, and uh, and we'll just you know we can weave our way, uh, which whichever way the conversation takes us. There's really there's no wrong there's, or right no way rules. to go about it. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, uh, to, to answer your the question, I had talked to the realtor uh, uh, who had been selling the house and mentioned that it was a young man. I said, well, he's a young man. He's taking pictures. It looks like he might be it. And <laughs> came over and introduced, just introduced myself just to, just to um, you know, and we had some visits. And, and uh, I, I have enjoyed many of our, converse, our conversations. They, uh, uh, I... I am interested in a very wide variety of things, and mm-hmm. what people do to make a living is always one of the parts that just like, wow, you can do that. That's sure. that's great. Yeah. Um, so my story is, I, I grew up in rural Southern Oregon, and uh, um, life was going really good, and then I had to go to school, and. I didn't discover if when I was really heavy as a kid, pretty fat, and um, <clears throat> I didn't realize uh, how cruel kids could be until you get to school. And uh, um, so there was a lot of events that happened. Um, older kids who wanted to um, make fun of me because I was an easy target. And in the process of dealing, figuring out how to deal with all that, all that, uh, that kind of weird chaos, you, 
something that would happen at night in, in my dreams is there was a wolf. So I would relive these experiences in, in these dreams, but in the dreams there was a wolf, never involving itself, it's just watching. And so later on I realized this was my spirit guide. God has sent me a spirit guide in a way that I could understand as a young boy that there was some protection. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I remember one time asking my dad, do you ever see wolves? And and my father said, well, there hasn't been wolves around this area for decades. They, they are all hunted off in the early 1900s, right at the beginning of the, right at the 1880s, 1890s, 2000, and 1900s, they were uh, wiped out. So uh, I realized that this was something, even as a first, second grade, there was, this was something different. And um, my, my family was uh, raised... Both my mom and dad raised in a, in a in a Christian church as they grew up, and uh, our family didn't start going to church until I guess in third grade uh, on a regular basis. And sometime in my early teens, the the dreams with the wolf in it stopped. They just didn't. They they quit. And at the same time, I was getting more and more involved with the local church that we were going to. Mm-hmm. So at 16, um, I had been already uh, pretty heavily involved in, in, in the church and following Christ, but had never made a, conf- a public confession sure. of... Yeah. That, that that I wanted to follow Christ. You had not attended the altar call. Well, I really didn't attend the altar call. I yeah. never have. Uh, sure. We were after um, a Sunday night meeting. Uh, I was out in our orchard, on our farm, and I realized that I wanted to be part of this family of God. Whatever it was, I wanted to be part of that because I wanted God in my life. Now, at this point, I was just already stating what I had been doing. I had already been following. Sure. And so next time I saw our youth pastor, Rob, I said, oh, by the way, this is what I did Sunday night after after the youth group. And he goes, oh. And he was kind of surprised. He thought I had already been. Sure. Had made up public confession because I was, you know, I was pretty involved doing the memory verses, doing all the stuff. Yeah. Picking people up uh, to go to church because at that point I was 16, had a driver's license. Sure. So, is that something? I mean, obviously, as a kid, you know, we're so impressionable and we're so such a product of our surroundings and you know environments and whatnot. But I'm curious if that idea of sort of the uh, uh, the the public, uh, you know proclaiming of faith or a relationship with Jesus or God. I mean, is that something that you still feel now in your, in your older age that like, that's a nest, a necessary prerequisite to have a relationship with God or the divine, or is, is that something that you still feel 
like um, is something that like would initiate you or usher you into Christianity or do you feel like someone can you know like let's say your 16 year old self had never really done that but you had still sort of modeled your life after the principles of Jesus like where do you pin those two things together without the like standard sort of like American Christian like have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet the uh, let me give you the long answer because I think it's yeah. <laughs> I think it's the way to I think the way to go about this so many people focus on this altar call prayer thing and a lot of people come to the church come into God's uh, in, into a relationship with God that way and and but that's not the path that I got led through. Um, nor is it the path that I, I don't, I don't think I could have found God that way. I found God working in my life as a kid, going to church, um, and, and, and church was in, in many ways a very safe place for me. Um, and if it hadn't have been safe, I do not think I would be involved with God at that young age. So Jesus in his teachings all throughout the gospel, he keeps doing this one, this same kind of a similar pattern. Somebody will come up and say something to him, whatever that is. It's their confession. Sure. Jesus will... Um, say his truth or what they what they need to hear and then he challenges them to follow him now his when he asks them somebody to follow him he's asking them to walk in truth in mm -hmm. relationship in love and the the bible constantly refers to this in Jesus, in love, in truth, in and anything yeah. outside of that. So if you're not walking in truth, you're out walking outside of of what uh, Jesus was teaching. So as I was walking into this relationship with God and then realized I had one, I was more or less it, stating to God, yeah, I want this. I want this relationship sure. that we're developing. An, an affirmation of sorts, but I totally, I totally, uh, I totally get it. And I think that you know, there's tons of different um, religions and wisdom traditions and and what have you that sort of point towards a similar thing of like, it's about. It's about, uh, like you mentioned, walking in love and walking in truth, but, um, you know, or walking in, you know, a way that will get you closer to Christ consciousness or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think that's, that that's something that's really st uh, a standout about you from my perspective as a, as a non-Christian, but, you know, someone who was raised Christian, but like, um, you're not, you know, you're so different than the typical American Christian. 
because to me you're someone who you you walk the walk and it's, it's just very evident by the way that you carry yourself the way that you interact with people um and i think that that's sort of to me like that seems to be a big piece of that of that core um is, is understanding i guess that like it's not enough to just say you know jesus is my lord and savior and i go to church on sundays like it's this for you it's this sort of daily uh truth that you're sort of in, enmeshed in your whole life is sort of like pointing towards the pointing towards the goal well, well thank you uh <laughs> yeah the um The, 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 there's this old statement about like the golden rule treat others like you want to be treated and part of what um, uh, Jesus' teachings uh, are about acceptance and love and part of the walking in Jesus is the, the more you are accepting of other people where they're at because Jesus, um, Jesus accepted me, which as a uh, um, 14, 15, 13, 14, 15 year old teenager, I was brilliant. And all the adults around me were kind of stupid. All right. <laughs> I really was a brash and and brash is a, a the way I like to describe brash. Brash is boldness with a wrecking ball, with no caring what you do in the process of being brash. Yeah, no understanding of consequence of actions. Right, right. Um, and as and as the more I learned about Jesus and how he interacted with people, it was this. People would come up to him and say, "This is my situation." They're they're. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can go to a, a, one of my favorite stories in the Bible here in a minute about how, how this, this confession and then Jesus' offering, offering, offering of repentance, yeah. which then leads to transformation. Yeah. You don't have to live your life in fear. Right. You don't have to live your life in, in anger. Sure. I think that um, what's so radical about so much of what Jesus did, especially in the context of his time, is that he's really challenging people to look at a, a life that's outside of the current system and structures of, of, the, of, our, of the world, of their world. Like one example is, you know, the rich man that approaches Jesus and it's like, clearly his heart's desire is that he wants to be, you know, a spiritually awakened human being. And so he asks Jesus, what do I need to do? And Jesus gives him an answer that is, could really only be true for him, which is, well, just give all your shit away and follow me. And he, the guy's like, fuck, I can't, do that. <laughs> I can't do that, though. But he gets him in that moment where he's like, the, you have to let go of the worldly thing that matters the most to you. And you're so caught up in it that this is the only way that you will ever be able to remind yourself of, you know, like that you are not this uh, enmeshed in the system of society. You are enmeshed in this beautiful ecosystem of the earth, you know, and like you're, you're never going to connect to that if you're just 
stuck in your palace. Um, so, anyways. Well, so you 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 bring up a great point that Jesus doesn't ask us to be paupers, and if you're wealthy, and uh, th- th- that's not the issue. It was, that was the issue for that one individual, that his wealth was a hindrance to his, um, to his uh, yeah, spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. Um, a hindrance for me, for my spiritual growth, is TV. I, I can spend hours staring at a, uh, a, 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 a thing on the wall that has no value in the end. Yeah. One of us. One of us. One. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm so, right here with you, especially in 2020. So um, I l- highly limit the amount of time I watch the TV. Uh, for, for, for instance, um, and this is going to get to a, a point that that I think is, is one of the most important points that I, that I always taught when I was teaching the kids in Sunday school is you don't have a choice whether you're going to be influenced. You will be influenced by this society. You only have a choice of what influences you, what influences you allow into you. Um, if you're watching shows that are based around greed, self-loathing, fear, hate, that stuff's going to creep into your life. You don't have a choice whether it does or not. You don't have a choice what you've put into you. And if you're putting in good things, good thoughts, watching programs or reading books that are that are helping you, that are beneficial, are teaching you how to live in a peaceful manner, to then those things are going to work through your life. Now, I will admit that my favorite movie genre is sci-fi stuff, which usually there's some sort of, you know, like Star Wars, Star Trek, all those. There, there's some violence in it, but I limit it. If I watched too much of that stuff, it, it will creep into my life. Yeah. I think that's... That's fair to say. If that's like what you're immersing yourself in, you only watch these brutal like movies yeah. where you're seeing all this violence and whatnot. Right. I mean, on the other, like, yeah. On the flip side, I think it's good, like, to have a balance of those things to to just know that they're also like real and exist. But I totally understand of like <coughs> that idea of like whatever you're taking in, you know, whatever. It, you're putting yourself in front of or yeah. you know listening to is going to influence your life somehow like whether right. you have this understanding of like oh this is good or bad like you're still taking it in and absorbing it in some way right what you're feeding into your what you're allowing into your reality is feeding your soul or your subconscious or your unconscious or whatever you want to call it and uh, I would actually argue that Yes, we do. We have some power over what influences us. Some. But there are other things. We have no power over the way that they, the presence in our lives. The only power we have is how are we going to react to it? Like, for example, and maybe this isn't a great example because there is technically a way out of it. But like, you know, it's very hard to live in this world with no money. 
True. Money is just a made up, agreed upon thing. It's not a real thing, right. but it has a it has a hold on my life because I like my house. I like living in Portland. I like all my friends. I'm not necessarily prepared to go live in the woods by myself and build a house by hand and just live off the land. I, I don't know that that's that's the, my path. So I have to recognize that money is something that I'm going to have to reckon with and sort of work with. But I also have to recognize the influence that it has on my life, the way that society upholds money and, and how that feeds my soul mm. and try to battle against those things because they're just there. I, I can't, I can't not let them influence me. And our generation now has to fight with, you know, more than just the TV. We have to fight with social media yeah. and, you know, like I, I've been really trying to limit it, but I'll, I'll find myself, I'll be watching TV and the next thing I know, I'm scrolling through Instagram and I'm just like, wait, 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 what am I doing? I'm not, I'm not in the moment at all right now. I can't even be in the moment to watch this TV show. Yeah. I want to numb my brain so badly that I'm just like turning to, but even if I'm not conscious of what I'm looking at on Instagram, it's still influencing me. Oh, I'm still seeing these ads and absolutely, uh, it, and uh, the uh, on National Public Radio there was there's this gentleman, Shankar Bidanton, I think I'm pronouncing it. It's he's he tends to do studies of studies, and is, it, it, is he the host of Hidden Brain? Yes. Yeah, Shankar Vedanta. Yeah, is and one of the, the, the how they do advertising and how this advertising has so in so sophisticated that they now have computer and p computer programs that are so powerful that they can tailor ads to you on your computer habits yeah um for uh, uh having fun with this one time i i was watching a series um, and forget what the series was, and there was an ad that would pop up. You'd, you'd every 15 minutes, you'd have to listen to like a minute of ad, and they would ask you, "Is this ad relevant to you?" And so I started answering. So I started clicking on tampon commercials and uh, uh, army recruiting commercials just to see what would happen. Mm -hmm. Is it? This is relevant to me. This is relevant to me. And it would, and it started affecting my feed. When I was just on Google, right, going yeah. to my internet to do everything is all connected now on the, the, on the web. It's, yeah. it's the algorithm. The algorithms are insane. Like those are the robots. Yeah, those yeah. algorithms. It's I'm pretty sure if I said fire pit ten times fast right now, and I opened up my phone and went on Facebook or something like first ad I see <laughs> yeah. is a fire pit. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Um, so uh, uh, let me tell you one of the one of my favorite stories out of the Bible, and it and it demonstrates um, uh, so much about the way I want my life to function, and I've been trying to model myself after Jesus's thinking. There was a there was a village um, elder, and in the time that Jesus lived. Uh, village, the, the, the synagogue or the Jewish religion and the leadership of any town were the same, were the same people. Right. So if you were a village elder, you were also a leader in the synagogue. 
at this point in Jesus's ministry, the people, the main Jewish leaders in Jerusalem had considered Jesus to be a bad person, and they were trying to block his ministry. They were trying to thwart, thwart him. They were there was some active work to um, to hinder him. Uh, towards the end of his ministry, they were actively trying to kill him, and were successful by having convincing the Roman government to crucify him. Mm-hmm. So, this village elder goes to Jesus and say my and tells him my daughter is near death can you please come and Jesus was teaching and he goes yes let's go so he starts walking towards this guy's this guy's house mm-hmm. now the there's several things that happened there one the village elder at the next village elder meeting was no longer going to be an elder the next synagogue he was no longer going to be allowed in the synagogue, let alone leading it. Right. He had given those up. Because he went to a, you know, a heretic in the, in the village's eyes. Right. So, and also, his business is now in question. Whatever sure. it was, his income is possibly forfeit for a girl in that time when women weren't valued. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this man's an interesting guy. Yeah. He would sacrifice everything for a girl, for his daughter. Now that's pretty good dude right there just sure. just right there. We've got somebody who's an interesting character. On the way, a woman who had been subject to to menstrual bleeding for 20 years. So <clears throat> was trying to sneak up on him and thinking to herself if i just touch the hem of his of his of his clothes mm-hmm. i'll be healed she and she was jesus feels the power go out from him and he stops the whole crowd which there there's like this whole crowd yeah, milling he's, around he's got a caravan pu- pushing around him it's it's a crowded situation mm-hmm. and kind of chaotic and he says who touched me and they're all looking at him like what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. <laughs> so no, I felt the power go out. The woman comes up, tells him what's going on, and he goes, your faith has healed you. Mm-hmm. Go in peace. All right? In the meantime, dad's still over. He's given up his income. He's given up his place in church. He's giving up his place of leadership in the, in the, in the city. She, he's, in, he's, in, he's given up everything, and Jesus is over here dilly-dallying with some other person. Right. He and at that point somebody comes up to him, don't bother the teacher, she has died. All right, so this guy's world is ended. And Jesus turns to him and says, Belief, come with me. Let's go in. Now at the end of the story, he brings the girl back to life. And gives her back to the parents. It, the entire time, all he asked you to do is follow and believe. The woman who who came up to him, wanted to, the, the the to be healed of her bleeding, said, "Your faith has healed you. Go, go in love." He never, he never does anything the same way once, twice. He's all over the scale when it comes to um, how people were healed or how life got changed for them. 
but he was always under this thing is doesn't matter what your state what your situation is this is my truth the truth i give you walk in this truth and you Mm -hmm. will have transformation yeah yeah i think jesus was all about transformation and even the the i mean the story arc of jesus is sort of a you know like it very well aligns with a with us the sort of mythos of you know transformation or the hero's journey um and i think that that's really what he was in a lot of those stories and parables it's like when i when i read them i feel this tug this calling to to me that's like don't don't forget that like this is the this is a key component of what it means to live a meaningful life is to transform and to like you know become to continue to unfold um it doesn't mean necessarily that you change overnight but allowing yourself to stay open you know is is so crucial one of the one of the 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 big draws for me was this aspect of jesus that he accepted everybody as they were and said another way to say it it and I heard this from a lady a few weeks ago uh, on a completely different subject, but it was every person he came to, he says, you're enough to come into the kingdom of God. You're enough to come into the family. There's a, But he doesn't tell you about a little bit of fine print. As you walk with Jesus, he's going to rub off on you. You're going to start walking in truth and walking not in lies and deceit. You're going to start walking in love, not in hate. You're going to start walking in boldness and confidence, not in fear and loathing. And and bad things happen. Back kind of go back to the wolf thing I saw as a child when I was really having a hard time learning how to figure out how to work my way through school through the uh, the first few grades of school and as I went into uh, Christianity and our family started going to church the wolf became less and less part of my dreams as God's work through the Bible because the spirit guide was a guide he's a mm-hmm. guide to get me somewhere sure we had a tragedy in 2013 mm-hmm. um, our oldest son drowned uh it may have been a suicide or it may have been an accident. We will never know. The wolf started coming back into my dreams occasionally. Mm -hmm. And as we went through the grieving process, um, it stopped. It kind of petered out again. And it's what I needed to be reminded that the process is still going on, that, that uh, no matter how bad the tragedy, there's the, the God's love is still there. Right. Yeah, there's still this thing. <clears throat> and I think, I mean, for me in my own spiritual practice, this has been a really interesting one for me. But this idea that, like, we are, I mean— as beings on this earth, like we, we are cared for, 
we are held by i mean gravity holds us to the earth the sun you know like shines upon us and i think these are things that like you know pre-society people just intuitively were like oh we're obviously all connected to this thing it's very apparent and we've sort of lost that but jesus has this moment in the bible where he you know he's talking about uh worry and anxiousness and he's like why you know don't worry about tomorrow like look at how god cares for the flowers in the field what do they have to worry about amen all they do is just sit there and be awesome so like become like that and i think that that's like uh gosh i mean it's really grounding when you know life gets tricky to just remember like take a step back and be like oh yeah i'm just another you know flower in a field and that's not to say that my life isn't meaningful it's to say that it's like the you know has the most meaning possible because i'm just a part of the whole thing how do you how do you uh man that's a powerful share about your your son i'm incredibly sorry to hear that like how do you lean into the the good and the fire like amongst that 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 turmoil and that that sort of devastation the the back to the long answer we love long answers. Podcast, I like that. That's what so, this is about, yeah. Victor. So thank you. We appreciate all of your long answers. We welcome them. All right. We're here for it. So as a as a boy growing up, you, 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 you live in any society anywhere for any kind of length of time, and people pass away around you for whatever reasons. And um, so there, it became really apparent to me that as a young boy that someday I would uh, we would be burying our my grandfather who lived with us I lived in a multi-generational family since the time I was in first grade Mm -hmm. Um, uh, he he, um, and then then it kind of dawned on me well you know one of these days I'll have to bury my parents and got aware of that and part of it was some tragedies around as people uh, died and uh, I grew up in a logging farming community and um, so logging is an extremely dangerous occupation and there's a lot of people that get maimed or died so there's there's tragedies around you and watching people go through tragedies um, it became really apparent that some people treat allow tragedies to wipe them out and others just keep going it's 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 like there's nothing that can stop them and most of the people who were the nothing no way you can stop them were the people who had a strong spiritual relationship not a dogmatic relationship with yeah. god but a spiritual relationship right. they had that foundation correct yeah. They have, they had that relationship, and it was tight. Right. It was. They have a, they have a, like a radical acceptance, which is what. Oh, that's a good way to say it. Radical acceptance. And that doesn't just mean for each other, but it also means for the reality of life, which includes death. Yes. So yeah, obviously, when things happen that are worth grieving over, you know, from a spiritual perspective, it's like it's paramount that you do that. Yes. But it's also paramount that you accept the reality of death for what it is, 
because it's coming for all of us, baby. Yep. We're all we're all hopping on that ship, whether we like it or not. In um, in in my uh, about the time that I, I made a public confession about Christ, uh, my great uncle um, Arthur. Uh, uh, son passed away of some cancer I forget what it was and and at the funeral he had had three other children of his seven children pass away before that wow. one in the Korean War one in the Vietnam War one from an auto accident, and then now one from this. And the the um, what he had to go through with his first son that was lost during the Korean War, which he wanted to, the son wanted to dra- da- be a draft dodger. He wanted to leave, go to Canada, mm-hmm. and Uncle Arthur talked him into going. So there was a lot of stuff he had to go through because he died in the war. Right. Um. So Arthur felt partially responsible. There, there, there were some things that Uncle Arthur had to go through, and and I remember thinking as a kid that somehow that he was a happy individual after going through something like that mm-hmm. had to make him some sort of like superpower. Sure, you just like wow, how did he do that? So, um. I, I had an I had a comp- comprehension that uh, someday I'm going to have to deal with death, and so I'm going to have to start learning how to deal with it sooner wow. than later. And something that our church did, gosh, it must have been 20 years ago or more. Uh, we had a a weekend uh, getaway, and we had a grief counselor come and talk about how he handles grief, how he talks people through grief, mm-hmm. and. He he breaks broke it down into four kind of four. There's four kind of levels. You know, you, you're you're in the fetal position, crying. You're unfunctional. That's phase one. That's one. Two, you're sad. You cry a lot, but you're 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 functional with a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, grieving takes a lot of effort. It's it's a little bit like you get a backpack. Now, when you first put a backpack on, it's heavy. You really notice the straps. But after a while, you walk the back. You don't. You start to forget that you have the backpack. Right. But it still takes extra effort. Right. Everything's just a little harder now. I mean, I can't. You know, Dan and I are are young, and speaking for myself, but I would imagine the same for you. It's like I don't think we can even comprehend that level of of loss and no. and the grief that comes with it. We don't even have kids. So I haven't, I haven't even known the love of a parent, you know, in my own heart in that same way. I mean, I have nephews that I love dearly, but like, you know, I, all I can do is imagine what it would be like, but like, I can't fully comprehend what it would feel like. That's one of the best statements you can make. If you've never been through it, uh, um, boy, the best thing to say to somebody, if you've ever talked to this is, I can't imagine what it was like because one, we don't want you to. We don't want you to understand it because that means you had had a child die also. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, uh, <laughs> um, 
All right, so the, 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 so the first one, you're in the field position, you're sad, but you're workable. The second one is you're, you're very functional. You're, it, it, instead of crying, or you might just be a little sad or a little down, but it doesn't take as much effort. Mm-hmm. And then it gets to a point where you can talk about your son and, or your, your loss, whoever you've lost, um, and laugh about it and not feel any kind of pain. Any kind of longing for, uh, or any, any sadness or drain, and the backpack. At some point, you quit carrying it, and you don't know. You don't. You 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 just notice one day that the backpack isn't there. You don't know. You you know. You don't know when it's dropped off. You don't know when you set it down. It just goes away. Mm-hmm. However. And here's the, here's the awful truth about grieving. It's a process. And you can be in all four stages in the same day. And I have. Mm-hmm. Where I'm in, in the fetal position, couldn't get out of bed, crying. Later that day, that evening, wound up laughing about something my son had done and not feel any pains of... Mm-hmm. of uh, of grief. Wow. It's, uh, it's, it's a strange thing and it's okay. That's, that's okay. I mean, it's, it's a difficult process. Sure. And the most, one of the, one of the important things you can do for yourself is admit to yourself that it is difficult. Right. Yeah. Have a little grace for yourself. They're like, this is a really hard thing that you're going through. Yeah. So, so during this time, um, there was a bunch of things that happened that were God's little gifts, little bits of grace, little bits of, of peace that, and sometimes I didn't even recognize them until long after mm-hmm. they had happened. Um, uh, the college that my son had gone to, the, the, he, he was, it was a very tight knit college and they, uh, the group that he had worked with got together and sent a little through a, a local florist, a bouquet. And in the middle of the bouquet was this little, this little plastic angel. And it had some scroll work on it. Like it was a birch bark. It was like birch bark wings. It was kind of interesting, but I'm not really into kitsch. It's kind of kitschy, yeah. you know, put it on the shelf, collects dust kind of thing. And, um, and, and my first thought was, it's a beautiful arrangement, but now this little angel's going to have to be around forever, and it's just kitschy. wasn't until like nine months later, my wife comes walking in to the room I was in, and she goes, did you look at this angel's skirt? I said, look at the angel's skirt. What do you see? And in the angel skirts, these outlines of rounded-edged oak leaves. So one, so a little, we'll go, little, little step back here. As a personal symbol, um, my personal symbol is the western black oak. It's a gnarly-looking tree. It has dark black, <clears throat> pretty dark. Um, uh, bark and they call it a black oak because the, the dark the oak gets so dark 
that it looks black, but the wood itself is pretty tan. It's pretty light. It's difficult to work with, hard as nails, but once you get it, once it's done, it's beautiful. So I've always liked those characteristics. Extremely tough to work with, very tough, hard, you know, it looks beautiful, very functional, and in the its natural state is this big, raw, beautiful, stout, just majestic tree. Mm -hmm. So I took that as my personal symbol when I started talk, thinking about spirituality. And in the skirt of this angel was these oak leaves. Mm -hmm. that, um, that kind of planning is one of God's grace things. Inspired some artist somewhere to make these little models inspired somebody to put to ordered a bouquet mm -hmm. inspired somebody to put this particular plastic ornament in the display mm -hmm. for me sure for the moment that you needed it and i wouldn't see it until the moment we needed it which was right before christmas yeah right before christmas is when jude pointed it out because she's thinking well it's well i'll put it in the christmas stuff my wife by the way my wife's name is jude and she puts it in the Christmas stuff, brings it out, and she didn't notice it until that day. We both needed that then, mm -hmm. not when it first showed up. Yeah. Are you, uh, I'm curious, are you familiar at all with Carl Jung? Um, I know I've heard the name, I just don't remember why. So he is sort of like the, he was a student of Sigmund Freud. And then he sort of branched off and started doing his own thing with psychology. And it was much more right. spiritual. But you've touched on uh, a few things that are very Jungian. One of them being this symbol of the wolf in your dream, which is like, uh, to me, feels like sort of this ancient protector archetype. But it's a way that the his theory is that, um, you know, dreams are a way for the collective unconscious to communicate with us so that's why we some of us share symbols in our dreams because it's part of what it means to be human and i mean i think depending on the way that you frame things like the collective unconscious is sort of you know you could view it as god or the finger of god or you know some component of you know something that's outside of what we can see um and then you also talked about you know you're, you're now you're talking about synchronicity which is something that Carl Jung had all these stories of what he called synchronicity, which were these amazing coincidences that were, you know, just like they had to point towards something. Um, and then just the symbolism, too. I mean, he was really big into symbols and what that means for for humans. And a lot of his work was really, you know, towards the end of his life, he was asked, um, someone in a, in this really famous interview because you know he's in the he died i think in the 50s or 60s this famous interview of him in like the 40s or 50s and someone asks him and somewhere in the middle and they're like Are, so do you you know do you believe in the existence of god and he sort of laughs and it's like he's he spent his whole life studying and diving into the realms of the you know of the shadows and the collective unconscious and studying dreams and all these things. And he just is like, what do you mean? I mean, yes, of course. <laughs> He's like, I've seen, I've known God, like 
seen I, it working. Yeah, I just it's not. He was like, it's not a, it's not that's not a real question, basically. Mm. Um, but I thought it was so interesting that all of his interesting works for him sort of pointed towards, uh, towards that one insurmountable truth. But speaking of books, I see that you brought yes. So this uh, this collection of works. I'm very curious what it is that you wanted to share. All right. So um, uh, in 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 um, my reading on Christianity and, and spiritualism, um, that my I brought three of my favorite authors. Um, a, a lady by the name of Rachel Held Evans wrote four books on, and she's a Southerner. Uh, grew up in a evangelical uh, church and started having questions about religion and God and and her and her walk and she her walk she goes through and and questions her her, her crisis she calls them crisis of faith where she was heavily doubting that there was a God there is a God and that and as she worked her way through all these questions, she realized that so much of her questions were the judgmental upbringing that she was, um, that's, that's not how, that's not the best way to put it. Uh, she was, she was rejecting the dogma right. of the Southern Evangelical Church right. that she was raised in. Sure. And... How yeah. she embraced then the spiritualism, the spirituality of Jesus and his teaching, and how that created that that created this relationship with her. You want to call him higher power? You want to call him God? Sure. Uh, you want to call him Jesus? I don't care what you call him. This is this this um, this relationship with a God who loved her and had orchestrated events to protect her and save her even as a young kid. And anyway, she's written four books, written four books. And my two favorite, I think they're the best ones, uh, that, that, uh, is like in searching for Sunday mm -hmm. and her other one, uh, let me dig it out here. Faith unraveled. Now, if you're a person who has been, really wondering about God, really wondering about um, how uh, how to think, uh, looking for a different way to think about God or how other people have worked through their, their doubts. Um, Faith Unraveled is a good one. It's a good one to start with. Mm -hmm. And it's, and her, her whole, her, her writing's really good. It's very entertaining at times as she goes through these frustrations like some of the most some of the funniest things that's ever happened to me has been during some of the most frustrating parts of my life mm -hmm. uh, and part of it is look for the humor there's mm -hmm. always there's always yeah. something good going on you can you can focus on the bad or you can focus on the good in every situation yeah um so do you, have you experienced many crises of faith yourself, Victor? Has it always been pretty easy for you to like kind of separate some of the more dogmatic stuff that makes noise and gets in the way of 
like your own spiritual path? Well, um, I'll, I'll give a, a tip of my hat to Reverend McKay. When I was growing up, he was the, 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 the reverend at our church. Very conservative fellow. However, he was, he, he came to, um, he came to the pulpit with sort of an open hand, the, the same sort of open hand that Jesus had where he said, just follow me. My way mm-hmm. is light. My way is peace. Right. And so he, he was very dogmatic in some of his views. Sure. Very conservative. If you wanted to pigeonhole him in any kind of a theological framework, he would definitely be sort of Southern Baptist, conservative Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he was accepting. He could take people where they were, and I th- and I so I I'm, I'm reading this Jesus guy, reading him in the Bible, and he's always telling me, "Well, just read the Bible, and then come to ask me questions." And 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 kind of a, it, I used to think that because every Sunday I'd come to church, it's all oh, for crying out loud, what is going on here? This is ridiculous. How could this? What? I mean, just I was kind of near apoplectic about some of the stuff in the Bible. Like, mm-hmm. this is this is ridiculous. This yeah. is insane. What's going on here? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I kind of had this feeling that in the back of my head that at some point um, I was going to hit my limit on questions and they're going to bum rush me out the door. Sure. Never happened. <laughs> they loved this kid coming in. Yeah. They did what Jesus did. They loved a brash, somewhat arrogant, Mm-hmm. And I must say, I must say it, it, about the time I got to 25, I realized how stupid I was and how smart everybody else was. <laughs> you know? So the brash teenager, about right. brash teenager who was brilliant in his own mind grew up a little bit, um, a whole lot. So um, I, I, I realized that Jesus rejected dogma at every mm-hmm. turn. He was the most liberal individual of his time, without a yeah. doubt, the absolutely the most liberal, inclusive, open-minded, forward-thinking person right. of well, his this time. This is why a lot of Americans, including you know this person that you mentioned, this author, who I, I definitely have heard of her name, but a lot of Americans, uh, American evangelicals, and this is sort of where my deconstruction started too. It's like they they do read the Bible and they have read what Jesus had to say, and then they start going to church and they start thinking, "Huh, you guys are very picky and choosy about who gets the uh, love and acceptance." Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you grow up a little bit. You you have friends who are gay. You have, you know, whatever it is, you have people in your life who are not uh, accepted by the church for whatever reason. And you think, but, but like, I know them and I, all I want to do is offer them acceptance. And I'm pretty sure if I feel that, then God sure as fuck probably feels that. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, what this are is... you, what do you teach? It, there becomes, things start to be get, become misaligned and you're like, well, and it's so I think it's really a function of just you know, uh, especially American Christianity. But it's just the way that things have you know sort of shifted over time. It's it's a really old book. You know, there's no 
there's no wonder that a smart kid reading it would be like, what is happening with this parable? And it's like, yeah, the book, it was written 2000 years ago. So it, we, you got to understand the context at the time. Well, it was the last writings was about 2000 years ago. Right. Some of the writings go back 6,000 years. So, right. or, or the oral traditions and then the writings started sometime after that. So the, the Bible is an amazing book. You can make it say anything you want it to. And yeah, people it, do all the time. For right. sure. But this Jesus guy that they pe- that people want to preach about, it was always love and acceptance. The only time he ever showed re- any real anger was two in- two in- two situations. There is a few times with his disciples in the Gospels, got the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where he got testy with his disciples because he was teaching the same lesson over and over again and they weren't getting it. Those are some of our favorite moments in the Bible where he's just like, you guys are idiots. I've been trying to show you this over and over and over. Yeah, we started with the book of Matthew and uh, there are quite a few moments where Jesus is just like, really? Again with the question? Still you don't see? After all all this time? Yeah. So the other two times... That he actually blew his cool, violently. He cleansed, cleansed the temple twice, once right at the beginning of his ministry, once five days before he was crucified. Mm-hmm. And both times, uh, um, w- what he was cleansing and what he did was he made a whip. And when I get to heaven, me and Jesus are going to have a little conversation. It takes a while to make a whip. Mm-hmm. All right, you're going to be doing this for half hour, 45 minutes, an hour. It, it, you know, I don't know what kind of whip he made, but he then used it to drive people out of the temple. And what, what they they were doing is at that point in in the Jewish ministry, Jewish traditions of of ceremony, you wanted to make an offering for whatever reason. It could be because of sin. It could be a thank offering. Uh, you you were supposed to be able to bring your own offering, offer that on the altar, have your relation, have your moment with the, the priest, have your moment in front of the temple. But what they were doing is you couldn't bring your own offering and you had to buy a temple offering. And then they would have a special temple money. And at each point, it became more and more expensive. And the one thing that during this entire time when he's driving everybody out, he says something to the dove salesman. So these guys, he overturns the table, and they're asking, by what authority you're doing this? And he says, you have made my ho- father's house, talking about God, temple into a den of robbers. Now, the, the dove is a special, special relation, have a special place in God's heart, in my opinion, in that Point, not because of the Holy Spirit and that symbol, mm-hmm. but because the dove was the sacrifice. There's a sacrifice that you could substitute if you were poor for a more expensive sacrifice. And um, so, if you were poor, you could come and say, "Listen, this is all we can afford." We and you bring your own dove, and you have it sacrificed. So. 
he was talking to the he was condemning the people that were hindering the poor from coming to him and that's a kind of a, a th the thing a lot of people don't catch in in this that you want to you want to get right in the center of God's love and care treat the poor well you yeah. want to get on the bad side of God treat the poor bad right i think uh there's something like Jesus talking about, you know, blessed are the meek and the poor and these things that seem sort of like the last will be first, like these things, these weird paradoxes that he speaks in. So, uh, I heard someone talking recently, it might have been Pete Holmes, saying that like, yeah, the reason he's saying that is because people who are going through hard shit in their lives are going to, they have, they're closer to God. How could they not be? Because they're, they're being brought through a deeper part of reality that's that is more connected to god than when you're just sort of like do and do going about your day and everything's hunky-dory so but yeah i mean i totally agree that like jesus jesus calls on on us to take care of the poor and the orphans and the widows and um it's very interesting that like you know i know that you're you're um very liberal i've been i've seen bernie signs in your yard you know ever since i've lived here probably um and it's really interesting to me that that anybody who considers themselves to be a follower of christ could be not uh generous toward you know could be so against something like uh the welfare state or taking care of the poor it's like what but yeah, it's it's totally uh, it's like at the antithesis. It's like part of, of the story the whole time. <laughs> the whole right. time. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so this 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 kind of enlightens. This kind of like has this walk with Jesus has really affected my thinking on politics. Um, I'm I'm I like to joke around. I'm kind of politically I'm bipolar. I'm a social liberal and I'm a fiscal conservative. Yeah. All right. So if you're going to have a program whatever the program is, to take care of a need, whatever that need is, you're also going to have a way to pay for it. Now, anything that will make you money, like, for instance, Head Start, getting kids into early education, having them meals so that they can concentrate, because there's kids that go to school, in, and this, as I think, is a shame, on our, a shame, an absolute shame on our country, um, uh, that the, one of the wealthiest countries in the world has some of the highest poverty rates and starvation rates of children mm -hmm. in our cities. So um, you teach that kid at a young age how to succeed, how to be successful. You make sure that he's fed so that he can be successful in school. So that's all, um, that's part of being the, the, a leader, and so uh, I'm kind of jumping around here a little bit. So, so if you want to be, if you want to be a leader, so Jesus says, if you want to be a leader, you must be a servant. You must be the servant of all. What does it mean to be a servant of all? It means you make people successful. If you want to be a leader, how can you make the people you're leading successful? How can you make them more independent, more in touch with God? then you are their servant but 
that's how you lead. That's how Jesus led. He wanted everybody with him to be successful, period. And not successful so much they're going to all become wealthy, but they're going to be successful human beings. Sure. Wealthy with the spirit of the Lord, maybe. Yes. Not the money, though. Um, yeah, I was thinking, too, earlier about... Um, Oh, so back to the the conservative part. Of, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah um, so uh, if you, that then you need to tax enough to pay for the program, but don't have a program that doesn't pay you back. The military doesn't pay us any money back. Right. It just, that, that's a one-way ticket. Complexes. That's a one-way ticket. You bake a thousand pound bomb, you sell that bomb, you drop that bomb, you kill people, okay? Doesn't make you any money. That doesn't pay your bills. Well, Victor, it gives us freedom. I'm just kidding. It also doesn't the money we spend on it. Is yeah, it also ridiculous. doesn't take care of those people often right. long term, which is oh the people who are getting bombed. Yeah. No, definitely like, not. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> them too, but the veterans. You right. Know? Yeah, that's so for sure. politically, so politically, when um, the, uh, like this war that we find ourselves now that we had no reason to go into Afghanistan and Iraq. For instance, you, when you start to get to the calculus of you can't kill the people that you're, you can't kill your enemies as fast as you're making them, that once you hit that you calculus, you got to understand, you can't win. You've lost. You need to back off. If you're trying to kill um, this 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 war mentality where you try to kill your enemies it's bizarre I, I it's it's unfunctional it's deadly our our iraq soldiers are coming back our afghanistan soldiers these a lot of these these guys are getting messed up and it's it it uh, we sent them there and now we're not taking care of them yeah so that's kind of another thing. Uh, we, we, our country really needs to take care of our wounded. For sure. Uh, we, at, we ask them, we send them somewhere. We ask them to sign up. We ask them to go. We paid for them to go. But then when they come back, we just kick them to the curb. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's shameful. They also need to not make it so you have to jump through hoops, though, to, like, get those benefits when they get back, too. Because it seems like there are some, like, good things available, but... I have a f close friend of mine that's a, a Navy vet and just listening to him tell me about like this process of what you have to go through to even get the benefits that are available mountains. to them. It's like some people just like don't have the time f to to do it. And it's just like it's very complicated. They make it very complicated yes. to get these resources. And it's, yeah, it's just kind of fucked up. But yeah, I, uh, I, I agree. I agree. We should be we should really be pursuing our vets and say hey this is here for you for sure you earned it yeah value these people that you're just sending into uh, war zones often I'm or just sending into you know these situations where there there's a lot of physical damage done to anybody in the military whether they see like battle or not like there's just a lot of physical strenuous it's like being an athlete and like that's all you do is you train all the time and you get prepared for these things like you're you're doing tremendous uh damage to your body yeah. not to mention like all the mental uh stuff that goes along with it if you do have to see battle and watch people die and 
all of that madness so god i mean i i go back and forth with the government all the time between like please step in and do something and then like other days full libertarian where it's like you guys are fucking worthless (laughs) (laughs) i guess i'll just do it myself like i'll just which is sort of what jesus does call us to do it's like when he says take care of the poor he doesn't mean vote for a democratic socialist in america in 2020 he means like when you see a beggar on the street and you have some cash like help him right and like when you know somebody who needs help with money or and you if you have extra anything and right. someone else needs it and you know about it then do something about it so um uh, uh, our pastor lee his 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 response is always he has a few dollars in his pocket all the time and he somebody hits him up he gives it my my answer is that every time somebody asks me for some money i give more to the i give more to the, the to the food bank so cuz i know that now strategically a dollar given to the food bank will get $3 worth of food to somebody. A mm. dollar to a person on the street is going to get him as much as a buck is going to get him. Right. Sure. So uh. strategically, um, one of the, the games that I play, or not games, one of the uh, spiritual things I do with God, you can sort of treat it like a game or you can just treat it like a, uh, this is my relationship with God, is when people ask me for money, I then, uh, whatever spare change thing we're doing with our church. Right now, uh, we're raising money for our father's house, which helps with homeless families. It's mm-hmm. one of the few full family shelters where a family can go. They, they have um, uh, training to help people stay in housing. They help them get jobs. They help them find, uh, there's classes on being successful. Um, help because uh, 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 so this is a program that is going on here in the local Portland, Oregon area that is phenomenal, and <clears throat> there's other programs that are as as doing great uh, also. But this is the one that we're giving money to now, and it helps a lot of people change their life long term, and that is where my heart is is seeing people being able to change long-term, get out of poverty mentalities. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, How long have you been in uh, Portland, Victor? I moved to Portland in, well, I, I, okay. um, Graduated from high school, came up in 79, uh, to go to college at Multnomah Bible College. It's now called Multnomah University. Um, uh, thought I was going to be a pastor and realized I didn't want to be a pastor. Um, and uh, finished finished the course, went through the schooling. And so I like to say I'm a very well-trained Sunday school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and and I love teaching kids. I love high schoolers the best because they got such good questions Mm -hmm. and they they're not they're not afraid 
They're a little brash and arrogant. Yeah, they're not afraid to be brash <laughs> oh and God. arrogant. When I was 18, I thought I was the smartest fucking little assholes. Unbelievable. Yeah, I definitely grew up out of that, too. Like, it, reality hit me real quick in my early 20s when I was like, oh, uh-uh, I don't know anything. Anyways, high schoolers are funny. Yeah, so I, I, um, I, I love... Um, I lo- and I'm, I really do miss that. We used to have a once a week, or not week, but once a month uh, men's breakfast Bible study. And I bring a subject, and sometimes we stayed on subject, and sometimes the discussion went somewhere else. And that's always good. I, mean, it's, I love the free flow yeah. of question and answer. Um, how has this how has God worked in your life kind of things? Yeah. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast. Like, that's kind of what this is. This is, is basically born out our of. non-religious Bible study. Yeah, this Bible is study. our version of a Bible study that sometimes includes cocktails and some, yeah. some marijuana. And we just and, record and, it uh, with microphones every week. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's we didn't. Much it. Andrew and I didn't have any. There was no conversation before this conversation to decide like what we would talk about with you we were just like yeah we're not really right, putting on a show we're just gonna hang we're gonna hang out with victor tonight and, yeah, and get to know him and, and hear some of his perspective and life experiences so yeah i think that's that's really nice i think that's why andrew and i have kept doing this for this last year too it's like for that opportunity to just Let's just have a, a conversation with somebody and and see, you know, what their thoughts are, or just where where it guides us. And maybe we're speaking about thoughts we didn't even know that we had. Yeah, but it is well. It's amazing to be able to pick people's brains, sometimes even strangers' brains, on the deeper questions of life. Like, what do you make of all this? What do you think about? <laughs> what do you think about this thing? About how we just woke up one day strange huh like it's i don't know and then to hear other people's perspectives on it it's just like it's never not illuminating i don't think i think there's all everyone's a teacher we we sort of got away from one of your questions earlier of crisis of faith ah yeah um yes there was a there was a point in my life i I told god i'm not going to pray to him anymore and he kept bumping people into me I, i didn't stop going to church but he kept Bumping people into me that needed needed what I had before I got pissed at God, and for mm-hmm. about it lasted for about three months, and I was just like, okay, fine, I, I, I give up, God. <laughs> I, I still love you. I still want to be in your family. It's just I'm a little really angry at you right now, and and you know, uh, what 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 God was going. Yeah, well, there's that brash 13-year-old again, but he'll he'll get over it, you know. Yeah. He made this mistake. He created this situation. It blew up in your face. It was it was it, I was angry at something that I did that I that God didn't protect me from doing. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> so, so um it's a it, 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 uh, one of um this uh this Rachel Held Evans um, book there's a line in there where she's talking to somebody who's never had a real crisis of faith mm-hmm. and Ugh, I don't want to talk to that person I don't think usually <laughs> usually those people haven't really 
experienced something difficult in their life yet. Right. No reason. No there, reason for them to have a crisis. There's no chaos. There's no instability. Everything's been handed yeah. to them until... It'll come eventually, though. Until the thing that happens and that shakes them. Yeah. And Richard Rohr talks about that in uh, Falling Upward, where he's like, some people to have that any spiritual awakening, like exactly what we were talking about, a crisis of anything, which maybe I think to evolve, you know, to get some evolution with the revolutions, we got to like, we got to go through that hard moment. And a lot of times it's life serving you that. Yeah. So like, yeah, Richard Rohr talks about how like, it'll you'll get it. Well, that's the thing day. though. It's, it's like circumstantial. So it's not like always that person's fault that they haven't had this crisis True. of faith. So it's like True. hard to just be like, oh, you What's, haven't had the thing happen to you where your entire like yeah. foundation for what the world is, is completely turned upside yeah. down. And then you have to kind of like unpack that and relearn stuff. You know what? That figure was, out Dan, what's good for you. That was me being an asshole in the line. Right? Yeah. Getting worried about maybe someone cutting the line. Talking about everybody gets in line at, at their own time, at their own pace. Yeah. Well, so uh, another person that has written a great book is oh. a guy named William P. Young. He wrote the book called The Shack. My mom and, and my there are a lot the, of people in my family really enjoyed this uh, this book. So The Shack is a fictional a piece of fiction. So a guy wrote this story about how a father goes through a very traumatic thing and his relationship with God and how he he how God was involved intricately involved in our lives and the, so if you want a really good book on how to walk through tough stuff i mean really tough stuff and how God is with you every second of the way that's a good book. Um, another book I just finished uh, a, f a few weeks ago, See No Stranger. And uh, Valerie, and I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's spelled K-A-U-R. Mm -hmm. She comes from the Sikh tradition mm. of, 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 of learning. And she... she uh, <clears throat> the... The, 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 the she she goes into this thing in in her book about forgiveness how to walk through traumatic things that's happened to you and how you forgive and uh something that the bible has always talked about forgiveness is not for, for when you forgive somebody for whatever wrong they've done to you whatever it is it's not for them the forgiveness is for you. Right. F unforgiving hearts are a poison that we take hoping that somebody else gets sick. Yeah. It's, uh, it takes up a lot of space when you, like, haven't resolved some shit like that, for sure. Yeah, we were kind of talking about that last week yeah. when, when we went through the story of David. Um, I like the title of that book, See No Stranger. I think that that is beautiful. Very you, cool. you, um, we're done reading it. If you want to pick yeah. it up, yeah, I'd be happy to read it. That'd be great. So, in the she, part of the thing she had to learn to forgive was because she's brown, 
growing up in Southern California around white people and how she was treated terribly at times mm-hmm. right. because she has brown skin. And uh, um, about some and, and, and her her writings are so packed full of truth about the there's a this there, there's a Sikh saying where uh, and uh, uh, where they say the hot wind will not touch you and i just love that the the bad things in life will not touch your core if you're centered with a with with a loving relationship with god it will not touch your core you might get burned you mm-hmm. might get a sunburn you might get pain you're going to have people be terrible to you or good but the hot wind will not touch you and i just love that imagery i'm a i'm a very visual visual learner mm-hmm. and i i love that that uh, that's that statement and Part of her book is to help people understand how every, uh, her 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 thrust of it is is in the title. See no stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my namesake, my grandmother Victoria, uh, which she passed away before I was born, but her legacy lives on in the little church I was raised in, my family. Um, and my dad was always saying, my my his his mom had. My grandmother had, there's two types of people in the world. People she knew and people she didn't know yet. Mm. That's total Jesus right down the center. Yeah, the openness there is really, yeah, that's amazing. Um, Did you lose a plant there? It's just a little kitty doing, uh, also Victor, for those listening, Victor uh, has a cat named Harry who owns the block and Subi spends a lot of time outside who's my cat and Subi is obsessed with Harry <laughs> Subi loves it. Harry's very indifferent but Subi loves Harry it's the only <laughs> kitty that she loves she's crazy about him has been since he was a kitten um, what were we talking about uh, uh, see, see no, no strangers, strangers. Um, yeah uh, uh, so it, uh, the, it's, it, that's a yeah, so Valerie K A U R see no strangers it is a great book and some that she does that I just love that good authors do is in the back of the book there is books all sorts of books that I've I've heard about but mm-hmm. never read mm-hmm. uh, same way with um, this the the Rachel Held Evans she's got all sorts of references of books that I have read in the past that um, uh, some of them ancient ancient writings mm-hmm. from the monastic traditions, but uh, I, I just I just love these old old thoughts that are so real for today right now. Yeah. And one of the one of the reasons I continuously read the Bible uh, on uh, I, I try to do it on a daily basis is that the teachings of love and acceptance are as rich today as the day that they were written. As long as you're using it for a tradition on how to think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As you grew into your teenage years and started to understand like some of the symbolism with the wolf and everything and thinking about it being 
sort of your spirit animal, spirit guide, was it easy for you to kind of look for some of the mysticism or lean into the mysticism of, of the Bible? Because, you, you know, you're talking about how you can kind of read it however you want and take it however you want. I think Andrew and I, like, really like the mystical aspects of some of those stories and, like, what they can mean in that that area. Um, yes. So, um, it was a... That, that wolf it was probably one of the best gifts God has ever given me. Uh, because he introduced me to a spiritual relationship with a living, caring God. And who who won't take you out of the bad situations, but he will try to teach you how to not put yourself in bad situations. Uh, the Proverbs, uh, the, the economic truth of being wise with your money, being wise with your, your hours, being wise in, um, in, in how to live your life are very valuable. Um, the, and then that, the, that God reached me through a symbol, um, a spirit guide. And the spirit guide is to do that. It's a guide. It's not a destination. It's not my leader. It's a guide, a guide to guide to truth, guide to spiritualness. And in Jesus, um, throughout the Gospels is saying, my words are spirit and truth. Uh, the Gospel of John is uh, the, my favorite Gospel. Uh, it, it, and because he talks about belief. And he never questioned, God never questions people who have a doubt. And because he wants us to come to him and say, this is my this is my worry. This is my concern. Mm -hmm. he, and Jesus is always going, this is my truth. I love you. I care for you. I want good things for you. Yeah, I mean, doubt. Transformation. What are you going to do about it? Doubt is part of the peace? process. It's part of the transformation process, especially. It's part of, I mean, that's central to like a crisis of faith or a dark night of the soul. Or it's because, yeah, it's because there's so much doubt and uncertainty. And you're like, I don't understand any of this. <laughs> You couldn't turn that up the whole time? Oh, yeah. I just, <laughs> I, I just realized that was kind of cold, so I turned the fire up. You know, That's I amazing. turned it down a little bit less because I'm, I'm running out of gas. I wanted to make sure it was going to last the whole way. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, so, Victor, did you stay up here post-college? You've been in a oh, Portlander okay. ever right. since. So I, I came up to go to school and uh, went back down to Southern Oregon. Um, and at that point, the logging industry had completely fallen apart. So the, the, the work that I was, had been doing, which was uh, working in lumber mills, um, completely failed. Um, I had hustled up four part-time jobs uh, at, within a couple of months of the mill shutting down and um, saw the light that I did not want, did not want to work four part-time dead-end miserable jobs so i came up to portland tried sales came back to portland because there's a lot of jobs 
even in that time, which was night 81, end of 81, that we were in a bit of a recession in this area. And um, the, it, it was a, then it was a jobs, decent paying jobs were a little hard to come by. But I picked up a couple of, I picked up a two, two again, a two, um, three quarter time jobs. And then found, um, and by that time I'd gotten married, um, and then started working for a corporation in manufacturing, worked for them for nine and a half years. Um, in the meantime, during that nine and a half years, my first wife and I separate, divorced. Uh, I became the custodial parent of my child. Um, and then we, um, uh, uh, then my wife and I, Jude, met in 91, got married, and blended a family, and sent, been up here in the Portland area ever since. So since basically 81, I came back up here full-time. Yeah, I was just curious because uh, Portland is kind of known as, like, the least religious city in America and things like that. So I was just wondering, like, what if that is, uh, <clears throat> what that experience is been like has it been strange to for people to find out that you identify as a christian like throughout your years being here well so because i'm because so this is a good thing to be talking about is one of the things that um uh i've never totally fit in completely everywhere and that's okay. Yeah. I know I'm uh, I I am a liberal, social liberal, fiscally conservative. But first of all, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And that influences everything I do. And in a, and um one of the one of the the the, the the things that I've always wanted to be true of me is that I follow this central core thing about Jesus. And I, I get liberals who are, are, are dumb, dumb, uh, uh, dumbfounded that I could read the Bible, let alone involve myself in a church and give to that church. Right. Um, financially give to that church, plus my time, uh, <laughs> The, and then I I run into conservatives, who will want to tell me, and these are the dogmatic conservatives, that you can't be a liberal and a Christian. That's not Jesus's party. See, yeah, Jesus is not a part of the liberal <laughs> yeah. establishment. Yeah. Well, and so, <clears throat> like a few years ago, like twenty years ago, there was this thing that just just like every just like oh, you all aren't getting it you have you've read the bible right where it was is what would jesus drive you remember you ever heard that it was it was what would jesus drive oh because like, americans 19, drive all these like suvs and stuff yeah, they're like 1998 toyota corolla nope, nope. all reliable jesus was a contractor or a carpenter probably a stonemason more than a carpenter point. Good because point. <laughs> they didn't have that much wood sure i mean so he might have worked he probably worked with both um so 
before he started his ministry, which he was just about 30 when he started it, um, he would have been a contractor. So he would have been driving a flatbed pickup because he's a worker, right? Right. Right. So once he started his ministry, it would have been a school bus because he's got the whole crowd coming with him. He's right. got the disciples. Yeah, he's got he's the traveling people. around, spread, right. spreading he's the good He's the word. magical traveling bus. There you go. It would There's have been. acid on that bus for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is dosing these folks, and he's taking them on the journey of their lives. This happened in the 60s. I think maybe they were on something. Well, it, Anyways. it would have, might have looked more like the magical bus, but it certainly would have been the the love bus. Yeah, the love absolutely. Caring. We're going to do this all together. We, we are in this together yeah um so so it uh it it and when people can't believe that i am liberal or they can't believe that i'm not that they, they were you're either too liberal or you're too conservative or you're too and, christian or and, you're, and what would jesus say hey i love you yeah right I accept you. I accept you where you are. Come with me. If you want to come with me, I'll do everything I can to make this path work for you. Yeah. That's, yeah. That was Jesus' message. That is my message because it's a message of light and peace. Well, yeah. And that's... God meets you where you're at. So you saw, I see some scraggly 25-year-old standing on the street corner taking photos of a house. I'm going, <laughs> curious. This could be the new new kid on the block. <laughs> yeah. So what do you do? You come up and say hi. Yeah. There's it, just such a big, large group of people that have such a negative connotation towards somebody that's christian i guess probably just because some of the representation of like what that is in america can can be a, a little right. ugly at times but yeah it's it's nice uh it's nice when when you meet somebody that says they're a christian and they are like walking that path or like trying to walk that path as much as possible not just you know, having empty, empty words and promises yeah, getting, and whatnot. Getting caught up in the zeitgeist of the American sort of church complex, whatever. I mean, it's this like whole system that just sort of churns people out blindly, especially like Southern evangelicalism, it seems like, uh, has a lot of that. So those folks, become, anyways, yeah. people become disillusioned with the notion. Of, but, but like what you're saying, it's like people in Portland, it's like, how many like Christian extremists do you actually know? Not not even like extremists, like violent. I just mean like how many like of these people, these like super like yeah. far right Christians do you actually know? Well, I don't even actually my, my know. grandparents have like found a church that they love in like in Portland that is uh, a Catholic church that is super progressive, and that was like. That's one thing that they love about it. And it's just like a much different vibe than mm -hmm. something a little more uh, conservative and maybe behind the times a bit. But I don't well, know. Jesus rejected dogma at every turn. Yeah. He rejected 
fa- he, 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 oh, rejected- he loved clowning on the Pharisees. <laughs> Always. <laughs> well, yes, he was like, oh, you yes. well, so, idiots. <laughs> now, one of the things that used to come up to Reverend McKay when I was a 16-year-old, all right, you're, you're, you're telling me to follow Jesus and the, to, to learn it. But he was, he was picking fights with these guys when he didn't need to. And Reverend McKay goes, well, what, what, why do you think he would do that? Why would you? I remember, I can remember, I only remember a few of his answers because most of the time he was a wise enough man to just keep reading. Kemp come and ask him back and he would, he would answer like. Right. He knew it was about your journey, not him imposing a journey on you. Correct. It was my journey. I needed to figure this out. And what Jesus was constantly doing, he was reaching out to these guys, but he wouldn't take their nonsense. He would, they would say this belligerent i'm trying to i'm trying to catch you in a in a in a in a falsehood the pharisees and jesus jesus would say you're wrong turn and 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 he would give them the path to repentance to transformation here is the transform trail of transformation follow me it's peace and love it's not rejection it's not it's not blocking people from coming to god it's yeah. being the servant. I want you to be a servant to my people to make them successful. And the mm-hmm. Jewish leadership was doing a really good job of keeping people bound by guilt, dogma, and uh, fu- this feudalistic, you got to work your way into heaven. Huh. That's weird. It sounds strangely familiar. I can't quite put my finger on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm not sure what it is. I don't know. But sounds very familiar indeed. Yeah. It's rough. It's rough that it all I gets think, yeah. distorted the way it does. We talk about this sometimes, how, like, yeah, if Jesus were to come back and see, like, certain parts of the church, but especially sort of the, like, super extreme american evangelicals he'd be like what are you doing what is that whoa uh-uh uh-uh daryl that is not it <laughs> so uh it, it, it in case anybody out there doesn't know what era we're living in um the evangelical church has thrown itself so far behind a political candidate that Jesus would never want anybody to follow that it be because Donald Trump he's the most is un-Jesus a person pathological of all time. lying um a, a sexual assaulter that you can Yeah, you can't right? even say and, that he's the antichrist because he's too fucking dumb to be <laughs> the devil. Like. Well, well, so so uh, so this thing about but my wife and I were she was joking around about that he's evil enough to be the antichrist. Well, no, he's not because he would actually have to be likable. Yeah, he's he, such a, yeah. he's such a dipshit. He can he can't be the devil. Like. So so the people who have thrown their their stock in with him have hurt the uh, hurt the cause of Christ in ways that that my kids' generation, <clears throat> uh, my grandchild's generation, m- will still be suffering from. Well, so you really feel that as a Christian, you look at the way 
that a portion of American Christianity threw itself behind Donald Trump and you think that's going to have a generational ripple effect. Well, there's, it's- there's, a, there's a series of, uh, of, of religious ads. Um, uh, uh, Billy Graham's son, I can't say, Franklin Graham, um, who was doing that I, I, I agree with the message and I want people to please ignore the messenger because this guy is not. That's what he said about Trump. Well, he's he's thrown himself in behind the, the Trump and 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 behind other religious leaders who have said that Trump is our dude, is our the guy. The right message, but the wrong messenger. Yeah. What kind of? That's that's crazy. So there's what kind a of nonsense. Is that? So Paul, in um, Paul in one of his uh, epistles, um, says something that's really kind of an interesting one. That there were some false teachers that were trying to lead Christians away from this new new religion called Christianity, uh, and it, at that point they were being called people of the way. They weren't being called Christians. Oh, we know about the way. We read Acts too. Yeah. We read Matthew. We, we read Acts. <laughs> we love the way. Yeah. We're all about it. Well, um, the, I really have always been drawn to that. That it's too bad that they, we didn't stay with the people of the way. Yeah. Instead of Christians, um, but and the reason they were started calling them Christians because they were like Christ, Christ ones, ones right. who followed Christ. And these, so many people have kind of missed that point that of love and acceptance. Yeah. And I just, I, yeah, it, I mean, it hurts my heart to see what they've done. It's like, rough. Yeah, like, I, I think you're right, though, about the ripple effect, though, of, like, them hitching their wagon to what Trump has represented is there's going to be fallout from that for sure i mean this is this is uh like there's all of these people that identify as christians that have hitched their wagon to this guy and and they like have found that to be okay and it's like the furthest from jesus that you can can be like he represents none of the core tenets of this totally this man that walked the earth full of love and acceptance now you know the the the, the, the something that i no longer refer to myself as because uh, i i'm a I've, i follow jesus i follow his teaching uh, i believe that jesus is is my savior he's also he's also my friend and throughout the gospels he says you will be i call you my friends I want and I want you to be involved with me. I want you to love. And what has happened now with this evangelical movement that has has disenfranchised the rest of the world, the rest of of society, so that they could get Supreme Court justices that they want, circuit court judges, uh, other judgeships mm-hmm. offered in, and this is a political political not not spiritual right. decision for abortion right now the uh, ab- ab- abortion 
is uh, is a, a subject that that you can care deeply about one way or the other, but is still a one single issue. Right, it's not and the if, fabric of society. It's a fabric of yeah. society. It's part of society. It's right. something. And my personal my my personal personal view is that it's not my decision. It's a woman's decision. Period. Done. Right. Not yeah. mine. It's just another one of those things. It's like, why do you continue to always make this the thing? Like, it's yeah. so far from what the focus should be. Correct. Instead of putting all of this money into <laughs> fighting against this. Yeah. This one subject, you could be yeah, could putting be this into people. positive resources, which like also, the, you know, as you were speaking about your church doing great things for the community. And I think we've spoken about how great churches can be in giving back and, and just how they take care of members of their churches. Sometimes when someone's in need, if there's a, a death in the family, you often see many people show up to this house and make sure that meals are cooked and, and things along those lines. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of great things about a, a church as well. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. So, so, um, not to, not a preacher, her books too much, but this is one of the things that uh, Miss Evans, Rachel Head Evans, goes into about this. One of the things she missed about her old church that she left. Um, who is going? What happens if something bad happens to her? Who's going to be there to help her husband? Mm. Which something bad did happen. She passed away from a, a weird form of cancer. I forget what it was. It was several years back, uh, and and I didn't even know she existed until. Uh, there was this uh, article on NPR about her. And I go, oh, well, let's get her books. So I ordered the books and really found somebody who is a kindred spirit in willing to question, mm -hmm. to be willing to ask questions of the Bible and of God. And because he, it's it, the love of being in a relationship and uh, in fellowship this in thing and not and part of that in thing is inviting everybody in there gay, we go. Yeah. straight doesn't matter what your ethnic background is um, doesn't matter what your economic background is what your education is you can all come in. You are enough. You are enough. And as you walk with God, he's going to teach you the ways of light, the ways of love, the ways of caring. Yeah. Back to the acceptance. It's just like, oh, are you ha are you also having the this strange experience of being alive? Well, <laughs> come on then. Me too. Yeah. It's and uh, and also the importance of having more more questions than answers. I think that's great. Yeah. Just understanding that everybody's truth isn't the same, and that that light is different for people. Yeah. But it's a shared experience at the same time. Um, I just hope that one day there's not such a large group of people that identify uh, like that. There wasn't such a huge backlash towards american christianity like i hope one day those numbers are reduced and there's not 
this large group of ex-Christians that feel so wronged by the the church. Yeah, but I feel and like a lot of them uh, are doing are taking that sort of like ex-evangelical thing. They're building like their own thing. Yeah, that like we're sort of on the fringes of even. You know, yeah, like I suppose. people. It's people. Yeah, being critical of like the current structures of the church, but also sort of upholding like, but there's still a lot of truth here yeah. that they're missing, but like we can go after it. For sure. So, so an organization that my wife and I uh, uh, got led to from a, a mutual friend um, is faithfulamerica.org. Mm-hmm. That's their website, faithfulamerica.org. And about people who think like I do, about love and acceptance and then I'm not going to put any, um, I'm not going to put my Christianity aside for any politician. Mm. I'm not going to set my ethics down because I want a politician to be elected or stay elected. Right. Um, this great organization. And there's another one, another lady, uh, Reverend Jackie Lewis, her church is in Washington, uh, Washington, New York, the Middle Church. Mm-hmm. It's called the Middle Church. Um, took some uh, lectures on, I, what, we've watched a couple of lectures on dealing with people of different colors. Yeah, I know I know who you're talking about. She is she's excellent. She's great. I've excellent. watched some of her videos. I, I, I learned, uh, I, I've learned a lot about... Um, of seeing and it's really it's seeing somebody's perspective from their vantage point mm-hmm. the walking in somebody's shoes yeah. a mile that's what Jesus he, was so good at right he would walk with you he would he would he, he, again it's this you're enough to come into the kingdom follow me yeah uh, and fo- take on my love my on my cross walk with me in love and and faith Another one I want to take really quick about is, um, and I've taken this class, it's called Knowing Rediscovered, and and I think it's that's the, also the website, where it, mm-hmm. or the trademark, Knowing Rediscovered, and he, this guy, a uh, guy named Wimthrip, goes through this um, confession, wherever you are. Jesus' truth or repentance and then transformation. You, you, come, in, you come into into God, this is my situation. God says, here's, here's my truth. Hmm. Here's your transformation. Start walking in this. Um, there's a couple of really good organizations. Those are organizations that, that um, I can point to with full conviction that they're a good idea that they're great uh, you know if i if i could if i could make if i could start from whole cloth and start making an organization that i would want to be involved with yeah faithful america would be one of them i mean i, I just didn't know how to do it or have the ambition or yeah. the time mm-hmm. well we live in a cool time that uh we can be connected we can be so connected within our communities. We can connect with those outside of our communities. We can really, uh, yeah, really educate ourselves. And I don't know. The Internet's an amazing tool for, 
as as much as it's a, a parasite, it's also an amazing tool for so everything's many a double edged sword. <laughs> Everything yes. can be toxic. With great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> and so uh, on and so forth. Um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing, like, some of your truths with us, and just like your path. You just like, yeah, it's uh, feels uh, feels special to get to spend some time with you, and you're a complete stranger to me two hours ago. So yeah. Yeah, thanks for for sitting by the fire story with and, us and, and having this uh, this uh, fun hang. It was a really great chat. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. This has been this has been wonderful. I, um, uh, I really love conversations that are rational and 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 thought provoking far-reaching it just this was this was great this is a great thing you guys are doing oh thank, thank you thank you very much we had a lot of fun this is this is awesome you you can come join us by the fire you have an open invitation victor yeah. to come do this whenever you would like to do this again you and i can do this without the mics all the time certainly yeah we could be sitting back here with tea every night um and we can put some of the try to put some of the links to the things that you were uh talking about in the episode notes I'll, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll put Absolutely. those in there so people can check out those um, organizations that you're speaking about and <clears throat> the books as well. Um, yeah, we'll put all that in there for people. Absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm cold. I'm ready. I'm, I think yeah. my cat is too. I think I've had to pee for a while as well. Okay. All so, right. Well, we'll wrap um, this thing then. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll put the uh, send us an email. It's BibleBuds, PDX at gmail dot com, and all the other links will be in the episode notes. And uh, smoke, pray, love, everybody. All right, bless up. <laughs>